so great to be with you here this morning. Uh, it's a joy of mine to be able to come and serve with Mercy Road and to talk about worship. But before I go on, I just want to take a moment uh, just to thank you all. Um, two years ago, uh, I was having a, an encounter with God at a Starbucks. How many of you have ever had encounters with God at Starbucks? It's, it's a place. Um, but uh, I, I was wrestling with the Lord, and, and I grew up here. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in Indianapolis. I graduated from Lawrence Central High School. And Come on, LC. Um, but uh, I graduated from LC, and, and, and God sent me on a journey away from Indiana for about 16 years and did a lot of things in my life. But all along the way, I had a prayer in my heart that one day he would allow me to come back to the city of Indianapolis and build the kingdom and partner with the body of Christ to see his glory shine throughout this city. And it was about two years ago that I'm having this conversation, and after I'd, having prayed it, uh, for 14 years that God finally had given me the green light to come back. Now, at the time, I was really wrestling with it because we didn't have any members. I wasn't even sure if my wife wanted to be a part of this church uh, that we were going to plant. Um, you know, we had a bunch of kids. We had one that was going to be coming that we didn't know about, so that was an extra surprise after we decided to take this leap of faith. It was like, oh, here's a leap of faith. Have a baby. Okay. Uh, the sixth one, uh, by the way. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we, we didn't have, well, there was my congregation. We definitely had a youth ministry and we had a nursery, um, but we didn't have a budget. We weren't even sure where it was going to be, what it was going to look like. But what we did have was the word of the Lord to go. And over the course of the last two years, God has continued to confirm that word through miracle after miracle after miracle. And one of those miracles is really him connecting me uh, with Pastor Josh and Mercy Road in Multiply, Indiana. And, and it really has been amazing to connect to someone who is so ravenously passionate about seeing the kingdom, big K, of God advance in our community, in our region, our city, more so than even his own community. Uh, he loves Mercy Road, but I thank God for Josh that he loves the body of Christ and he loves the kingdom of God and he's all about that. You can give him a hand for that. And so it is truly with great gratitude and humility that uh, City of Lights and myself want to thank you, Josh and Lisa and this whole Mercy Road family for sowing into City of Lights, sowing into Hope City, sowing into the many church plants that are going to come out of your generosity and your prayer. So go ahead and give yourselves a hand. Thank you so much. First lady, it's good to see you this morning. I like to acknowledge the first lady. Come on. Uh, so this morning, we're family. We're going to get to know each other. I want to introduce you to my family a little bit. First of all, we do have some of our City of Lights crew that came to visit. So if you're City of Lights, go ahead and raise your hand, wave. You know. Come on, give them a shout out. Give them a shout out. Um, now, this is my wonderful crew right here. So first of all, man, they look good. Uh, that beautiful lady right there is my wife, Kelly. She's actually uh, somewhere in the building with my little sweet girl. There you go. See that hand? Um, and she is amazing. She is brilliant, 4.0 student, valedictorian, just amazing in all her ways. And uh, she has blessed me with these wonderful children. My oldest is Isaiah. Then we have Aaron next to him, a seven-year-old. Then Judah, I call him Bacon Lou. That's his nickname. He's just an awesome kid. And then that blonde little kid, we did not adopt him from Latvia. He is mine. 
He, it's, it's the joy and the mystery of multi-ethnic marriages that they just produce a, a menagerie of children. Uh, so yes, he is blonde. We call him John Blonde Jovi. That is, that is his <laughs> nickname. And that sweet little chunk of love right there is Ella Rose. She's my little princess. Now, not pictured here. Uh, yeah. Oh, why did I put that picture in there? I just want to stare at it and eat those cheeks. Mm, sop her up with a biscuit. Um, but uh, not pictured is uh, our little princess, uh, Aria Joy. We had a little girl. God bless us with Aria. And uh, she passed away when she was six months old in 2011 uh, due to SIDS. And I tell you what, God has just been so gracious. He's taught us so many things through it, much of it through worship, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but her sister, Ella Rose, who I showed you previously, was born five years on her birthday. So they share, the, the Lord not only gave us another daughter, but he redeemed the day. And so I'm just so thankful for that. So there's my family. They're amazing. Uh, hopefully you can hear anything else I say now that you've seen all of those beautiful people. Uh, and, and we'll go. But, you know, I'm really excited about jumping into this DIY series. Hasn't it been a great series over the course of the last few weeks? Some practical things. Y'all can respond. Come on. Hasn't it been great? We can talk. Just pretend we're in a living room, like crazy Uncle Ted is in the back. You know, we, we, can, we can talk. We can communicate together. Um, but uh, it's been a great series of understanding just some practical things about building our faith. Sometimes I feel like when it comes to the faith and things like fasting or prayer or worship, we can almost compartmentalize them like they're just some niche practice for the people that are really into them. Like, this message is not for the worshipy people. This isn't for your, like, musically inclined niece or nephew. This isn't for the person that moved to Nashville with inspirations of being a part of a big band and getting a record deal, got tired of waiting tables, moved back to Indiana to be a worship leader. This is not just... For them, if you breathe, if you are a human, everybody human. Okay, I'm just, it's crazy times, it's, you know. You are a worshiper. Y'all hear me this morning? You are a worshiper. And, and it's not just something for a niche. It is a part of the comprehensive, holistic joy and gift of being a follower of Jesus. You were created, uh, as Harold Best says in his book, uh, continu uh, Continuously Worshiping, he says that we were created continuously pouring out worship. You were created continuously pouring out worship, but so often we can overly make things mis mysterious and we miss out on the simplistic fact that you're wired for this already. Now, I want to share some very practical things about worship and even some things that we already do, we're already familiar with, help you see it in scripture, but I really want you to understand that so much of it, sometimes we can over, uh, over mystify it to the extent that we just think it's for the extrovert or we just think it's for the extra mystical person. And it's not just uh, if you're not musically inclined. I've been a worship leader for a long time. I love worship. But I mean, I've even heard some things. I remember going to a church one time and uh, it was a great service. Spirit of God was moving. And uh, I overheard somebody uh, walk by. And, and I, this is when I was first introduced to this word or this phrase called soaking. Now, have any of you familiar heard like about soaking within a worship context? Okay, there's three hands. All right. 
So it's basically, the simple definition of it is just contemplative worship while people are worshiping over you. So you come and you sit in a setting, you sit in a a chair like this, and you sit, and they're just going to sing over you. And I want you to soak in the presence of God. Now, contemplative worship sounds a lot less intimidating than soaking. (laughs) Y'all, I'm just going to tell you, when I'm like, I'm at this church, and I'm like, man, this is great. I'm enjoying this. And I hear somebody go by, and they go, hey, did you hear? We're going to have a secret soaking session after the next service. And they were looking at me, and I'm like, I'm married. I don't know what kind of weird... Like 50 shades of worship junk is going on. It just, because, you know, and, and God bless it. You know, if that's your jam, you go soak to the glory of God. But the heart of it is sometimes we just have to peel back all the extra to get really to the heart of what it is that worship is. And, 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 and I want you to know this morning that you are worship. You are a worshiper. Look at somebody next to you say, you are a worshiper. Now, not only are you a worshiper, but you cannot help but worship. You were designed continuously worshiping. In Genesis 2, 7, we see that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So here, I just love this picture and the visual here, where God is forming us like an instrument. He is forming us and shaping us unlike you would into a trumpet. He breathes in life, and it's then when he breathes his breath of life into us that we become a living creature. And from that point on, we were continuously worshiping. He made us to have this continual fellowship, this continual breathe in, breathe out encounter where we breathe in his presence, we breathe in his breath of life, and out of us exhales worship. Out of us exhales praise. Now, unfortunately, we know that in the next chapter of Genesis, because of sin and because of the fall, there is a separation. And now this relationship that we were designed for, crafted for in perfect worship, to be submitted to him and to breathe in his presence and to, as a response to his goodness and his greatness and his love, now be transformed and release his praise in the earth. Now it's been severed. The relationship with God was severed, but we were still wired for worship. So it's not a question of whether you're a worshiper or not. You are a worshiper. You can't stop doing it. The question is, who will be the object of your worship and praise? Because we do it all the time. We're going to worship something. Now, it's to varying degrees. It's not always idol worship. But we love, we love uh, finding an object, finding a person, finding a thing, magnifying it, being trying to become like it in some ways, and then telling everybody about it. Instagram thrives on this principle right? You go to a restaurant. You, first of all, you probably like looked on Yelp or looked on Instagram. Probably the reason you went there is because somebody else was boasting about it. And you saw that picture and you're like, Ooh, I like that in Sierra filter. Um, let me go eat that. And you show up and, and it might not even be that great, but because you showed up and you had to get a picture, you're going to talk about it. This is the greatest thing I've ever had. Oh my OMG. And then you broadcast it to everyone else. We're wired to go, to behold, and to boast. 
right? We are wired to behold and to boast. And we'll do it, you know, tonight is going to be an incredible worship encounter called the Super Bowl. You know, I just, you know, I, I feel like there's some people in here that you walked in as a closet Patriots fan. The Lord wants you to be free of that shame. He wants you to surrender that in worship today. And for all of you who are like me, who are, who have just recently, within the last two weeks, become Atlanta Falcons fans, to come against the spirit of Patriots, New England Patriots, then, you know, you're in a good place. But, but all I have to say is, we are going to behold. People want to behold the spectacle. People want to see what color hair is Lady Gaga going to have and so that we can tweet about it and Instagram about it and share about it and tell people about it and talk about it next week. We're trying to figure out whether or not Peyton Manning was better than Tom Brady or all of the arguments that will take place over the course of time because we were wired to behold and we were wired to boast. Now, I want to share with you um, this very, there's lots of things that we could talk about when we talk about worship. Uh, we could talk about it for weeks and months and years and on and on and on. But today, I really want to distill a definition of worship for you down to this phrase that's going to help you build a bedrock for what it is. It's not about a genre, right? It's not about a style of music. There's all kinds of different styles of music throughout this city, throughout our world that are released to worship and honor God. But worship, I want to give you this definition. Praise and worship is a posture of submission and a proclamation of position of something or someone. Again, I'm going to say that. Praise and worship is a posture of submission and a proclamation of position of someone or something. Now, I'm going to give you just a couple practical words that we see in scripture that describe some things that you've already been doing. You maybe just didn't realize that this is not just an expression that you do because uh, Aaron or Pastor Eric told you to do this in worship, but this is actual biblical worship. So first word, tehillah. Now, tehillah is the Hebrew title of, actually, of the book of Psalms. It actually means to sing a spiritual song. It's a spontaneous or unplanned song out of the overflow of the heart. We see this used in Psalm 22, verse 3, uh, where God uh, says he, is, he inhabits or he is enthroned on the praises of his people. We also see uh, tehillah used in Psalm 34, 1, where David the writer says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his Praise or tehillah will continuously be on my mouth. I love this context of the scripture because what it's saying is I'm gonna, I bless you at all times and there is a fresh praise on my lips. There's a fresh every morning continuously. I can't praise you enough because of all that you're doing. This freshness, I love it. The second word I'm going to give you today is halal. Now, very many of you are familiar with this. It's the root from, that we get from hallelujah. And we hear this, we see this throughout scripture, particularly famously in Psalm 150. And it, con con it connotates this boastful, riotous, wild praise. It's like a crazy, exciting, celebratory hallelujah. And sometimes like, you know, I love the song hallelujah. But hallelujah, the essence of hallelujah is bigger than just a sweet little 
lullaby. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a great song. But we're talking like, hallelujah! Some of you just woke up. You're like, oh, wait. Wait, where's Pastor Eric? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's big. It's boastful. It's celebratory. It's something that resonates in your whole being. The next one, I love it, kind of goes in the same vein. It's Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat. Woo, doesn't it just make you feel like a little extra, like a little extra anointing just come on you when you say that? Shabbat. Ha! You know, it's powerful. Shabbat. Shabbat means to address in a loud tone. It's a loud adoration. It's a shout. This isn't just yelling, okay? It's not yelling, though. It's a type of praise expressed out of a royal victory. It's a shout that testifies to the king's glory, the king's triumph, the king's power, and the king's love. It is a praise. It is a declaration of of royal triumph and victory. Isn't that great? Y'all with me this morning? I want you to understand because so often we will take these things and because we don't understand the context, we don't understand that it's actually in the Bible, we just think that a lot of these things, that's just what they do. I don't shout. I, I mean, tequila is not my thing. I'm sober. You are so sober. God bless you. And we take these things and we act again like it's just, it's for that person. You know what? I should tell so-and-so about this message. They could really, they like worship. No, no, no. This is for you. This is for you because the expressions are not about us. The expressions aren't about what is my, like, how do I like to flow? No, no, no. It's about him. It's about God. And so it's really about saying, God, what do you like? What is it in your word? What are the expressions in your word that you've given us to connect with you and to to proclaim your position in our lives? And how can we align ourselves with that? Right? So when we we oftentimes, if, if we're so wired for worship and it's how we were designed and it's who we are, and we're doing it all the time, whether we're doing it about a, uh, something that we've posted, something someone else has posted, whether it's our band, favorite band, whether it's our favorite team, whether it's our political party or affiliation, we are constantly submitting ourselves to them and as a result, boasting and proclaiming their position in our lives. Why is it that so often when we come in here or when we engage with God in, in our everyday lives, it's so hard to express and proclaim the lover of our souls. I believe that our proclamation is in direct correlation with our revelation. Remember, you will boast what you behold. And many times what we are beholding of God is tainted. It's crowded out because of all the other idols that we've erected and then all the other things that we've placed around it. There's an encounter I want to read to you real quick in Isaiah 6. And, and, and I believe it's in this passage 
that there's four things that are revealed that will help us connect the dots because you're already wired for this. God wants you to experience the full benefits of being a worshiper. Let's read together. In Isaiah 6, we're going to start in verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. I'm going to go ahead and read it off of here. High and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Going on above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their feet. Uh, with two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying around. Going on. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. And the voice of him who called in the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king. I love that. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. So there's four things that I see revealed here in the scripture. And I believe that as we can connect to them, it will not only help us understand what it is to not just be a worshiper, but what ought to be the fruit of living a life of worship. So the first thing that is revealed is the greatness of God. Here we kick it out with this incredible encounter where Isaiah is in the presence of Almighty God. It is so overwhelming. He's never seen anything like this. There's nothing that compares to it. He is trembling. Not only, it'd be enough if it was just the seraphim. See, in this passage, when we see that the seraphim were circling around, they look like kind of weird creatures. These aren't just like the little fat babies with wings that are going to be shooting people with arrows in about a week or so. No, 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 no. Seraphim, these were called birds. Burning ones. They were like flaming, terrifying dragons. And if one of them showed up in here right now, we'd probably fall to our knees and be tempted to worship because we just wouldn't know what else to do. And they are flying around, freaking out, going, holy, holy, holy. You're like, wait, if y'all are freaking out, oh, no. <laughs> this is wild. This is wild. So often in a culture that really hates or, or is averse to authority and likes to bring everybody low and we just want everybody on the same playing field, we can diminish who God is. We can't ever lose sight that he is as great as he is gracious, that he is as terrifying as he is tender. We should live our lives with a healthy awe of God, not this, aww, isn't he so cute? He's so sweet. He came over last week and healed my baby of a cold. No, no, no. The earth is his footstool. He's big. 
Y'all hear me this morning. He's big. He's awesome. And we have to have a healthy, in our worship, in our lives, have a healthy perspective of his bigness. Because it's in that that the next thing is revealed. The gap from God is revealed. You see, when Isaiah is looking and gazing and beholding the glory in this glorious, holy king, he quickly is confronted with the reality that I'm not. I'm not God. As a matter of fact, I'm a hot mess. Woe is me from a man of unclean lips. We can't be afraid to recognize the gap. Again, it makes us feel a lot more comfortable if we tell ourselves, you know what? I was a pretty good guy, and then I met Jesus, and I'm a better guy. Rather than recognizing I was dead in my sin, I was desperate. I had no way out. There was a gap that I could never close. I couldn't go to enough uh, community groups. I couldn't serve enough orphans. I couldn't allow enough refugees into my home. I can't go on enough mission trips. I can't do enough things to close the gap that's there because of sin. Now, unfortunately, what happens is we stop there. Oftentimes, we stop in the gap when it comes to worship and when it comes to other areas that we make the abject of our affection and our worship. And so we see, we we boast and we we laud these, behold these amazing things or amazing heroes, and then we're faced with this broke with our own brokenness and the fact that we're not where we want to be. You know, I, I get the job, I think that if I get this and and I get this accomplishment, or if I connect with this person, then then I'll be where I want to be. But no, I'm left with my brokenness. I think, well, maybe if I can, you know, uh, drink, or I get in this relationship, or I go to this extent, maybe it will help me feel better about my condition. And then we get stuck in that gap, in that rut of our own brokenness. In worships, many times in the church, we do that. We come, we worship, or we go through the motions. We see how great God is. We see how broken we are. And then there's this deception that we think, okay, I'm going to go fix this. I'm going to go be better. I'm going to sign up for this. I'm going to go fix the gap because I've got to close the gap. But that's not what we see here in the scripture. You see, in, in, in this passage, we see that the fourth thing that is revealed, or the third thing is revealed, first of all, the greatness of God, the gap from God, the grace of God is revealed. God initiated an act of redemption, of reconciliation. Isaiah didn't go do a bunch of spiritual stuff. The scripture tells us in Romans 5, 8, that but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that Isaiah could not close the gap. I love that the scripture says, behold, this has touched your lips. The guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. God wanted him to behold it. He wanted him to see it. I want you to see my grace poured out for you. I love the old Ray Bolt song. It says, watch the lamb. Behold the lamb that was slain. Behold the grace. Behold the fact that you didn't beg for this. I initiated it because I love you. 
and I am restoring. I am making all things new. Now that's the game changer. When we worship, it should reveal his greatness. When we worship, our desperate need for God should be revealed. But biblical worship doesn't then turn us into a pattern of trying to do it ourselves, fix it ourselves. Biblical worship brings us to a place where we behold the grace and the goodness and the love of God. Because it's in that place of beholding his grace and his goodness that now our proper response comes out. Remember I said that worship is a posture of submission and a proclamation of position. It is in the place of receiving the grace of God where we as believers, where we as the redeemed, the sons and daughters of God are reminded of how good he is, how much he saved us from. That's why it's so important that we don't make small the gap, right? If we make little the debt owed, then we make little the price necessary to close it. Y'all hear me this morning. Sometimes it's, it's, it's okay to face the nastiness and the brokenness of our lives because we have hope. We don't stay there. Because of Christ, we can behold and receive the grace and the love he has for us. Y'all with me today? And it's out of that place that now we worship. See, the fourth thing that's revealed is the go. Because now, having received the grace of God, having been changed, having been uh, in a place of from one moment, woe is me, to another, my shame is no more. It's out of that place that Isaiah is like, he is so tuned in to the heart of God that when he hears the conversation of who will go for us, it's not like he doesn't have to like do this long belabored. You ever been in one of those like uh, altar calls or those moments, kind of awkward moments in church where like, you know what, I believe there's some people in here today and uh, God's speaking to you. And, and if, if you want to receive Christ today, just come on forward. I just believe there's a lot of people and, and nobody comes. And the pastor's kind of like, okay, Lord, I thought you said there was more. Um, Okay, uh, if you believe that this is for you, you don't even have to come forward. I just want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And, and, and you see a hand, but it's just the sound man saying, hey, you need to wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> and then you even lower it. You're like, oh, just raise your left eyebrow uh, or twitch um, or just get up and leave if that's you. Okay, everybody's responding. Hallelujah. No, no, no. He didn't have to convince him to do anything. Why? Because he beheld the king. He beheld his need, and he beheld the grace of God. And so when he heard the response, it was not, it was not oh, I don't really raise my hand. I'm not really into clapping. I don't really do shouting. I don't do mission trips. No, no, no. Here I am. Send me. That's the response of the worshiper is I surrender. You have all of me. I'm not measuring this thing. I'm not giving you three months or six years or 50 years. You have all of me. But you don't come to that point if you don't see who he is. Hmm. 
As I wrap this up, I want to give you some practical things, some next steps, because it really is not just about the next three songs that we're going to go into in worship. And that's why I've hoped to be able to communicate. It's about a posture of submission and a proclamation of his position in your whole life. I'm going to have Aaron and the band go ahead and come up. A couple things about, I'm going to give you four things that I want to challenge you in. So that this isn't just a random message in the list of podcasts or things that happen in Mercy Road, but this is something that will help you encounter God on a regular basis. Number one, I want to challenge you to kill some kings. This is what I mean. In the first verse of this passage, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And when I've studied this scripture time and time again, I realize it's not really, it's not giving a historical marker. It's almost like it's put in there for emphasis in the moment. And what he's saying is, you know what, kings, rulers, authorities, they're going to come and go. This king, he's the king of a kingdom that knows no end. And when I read this, I said, Lord, what kings in my life need to die so that I can see you properly? I want to challenge you. Ask the Holy Spirit, even as the band plays and the worship continues, ask the Lord, what kings, what, what things have I erected in my life that are hindering the way I see you? It, it might be a relationship. It might be a career. It might be some kind of addiction. It honestly, more times than not, it's us. It's us. We are the king that has not died to self, that has not taken up our cross, that has not come to the Lord and surrender, that every time he's calling us to step out, that he's calling us to, to come into his presence, we are the king that needs to be submitted. Number two, I want to challenge you. Take all of what you've heard over the last few weeks of this DIY and get into the presence of God. Read his word. Spend time in prayer. It's amazing. You know, so often we can, we can say, we, well, I, don't, I don't feel, I don't feel uh, like I want to worship right now. I want to encourage you. Press into his word even when you don't feel like it. Get into his presence. Get into a place where you can experience him. Serve. Serving is a great way to experience his presence. Pastor Eric said last service, it's good to get together and worship together in these moments. But this is just an alignment so that when you go out throughout your week, you have a week of worship. Number three is assume a posture of submission. The band's going to play here. And I'm telling you all, this, these songs that they're going to play are just so good, so rich. And I want to challenge you to just make a decision right now as we get into this. Say, Lord, whatever you want. If, 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 if it will bless you for me to lift my hands, to sing a new song, I want to posture my heart not to worship according to what I like, but what you like. And number four, it ties into that, is just exploring new ways to proclaim his greatness. I said it before, you will boast 
according to what you behold. So as we worship, I ask you to behold him. Behold the king. Behold how great he is and how much he loves you. Behold our our need for him. Behold the fact that he has taken the initiation for your redemption, for your restoration, for your wholeness, and respond. Won't you stand together? As Aaron and the band play this song, uh, after the first song, we're going to take communion together. But I want to encourage you, press into him. Don't mystify it. It's not, it doesn't have to be some extra belabored thing. Just surrender. Father, I thank you that you're here and that you love the people that are here today. Lord, that you've taken the steps to make it possible for us to, just as we did at the very beginning of time, have unseparated, unmeasured, unblemished fellowship with you. God, I ask that you would give us the grace to die to ourselves, the grace to surrender, the grace to stop measuring out our engagement and to be all in with you, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.